All right, take your Bibles, turn to the Gospel of John. The Gospel of John, chapter number 3. John, chapter number 3, and I'll read verses 16 through 21. And I hope you'll learn something you didn't know before. It says in verse number 16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He that believeth on him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already, because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And this is the condemnation, that light came into the world, and men loved darkness rather than light, because their deeds were evil. For every one that doeth evil hateth the light, neither cometh to the light, lest his deeds should be removed. But he that doeth truth cometh to the light, that his deeds may be made manifest, that they are wrought in God. Now those are very familiar verses. John 3.16 usually is where people stop reading. But uh, let's pray this morning. Our Heavenly Father, we come in the wonderful name that's above every name. We come to you today with thanksgiving in our heart. We thank you for what you've done for us. Oh God, how wonderful it would be if, if everyone would come to Christ and give their life to him. God, help us today as, as we teach this little lesson. And may it be a blessing and a help to many. And may the Holy Spirit of God prick hearts and woo and draw people unto thee. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. The verses we've read uh, are very common scriptures. Almost everyone knows them. At least John 3.16 they learn in Sunday school. Here we, we have Nicodemus coming to the Lord and asking the question. And Nicodemus was a ruler of the Jews. He came to Jesus seeking to find the way to eternal life. How can I know that I'll live forever with God? How can I know that I'm a child of God? And he knew all about the religion. He knew all about the customs of the Jews. But he still didn't have the answer he was looking for. It was there that Jesus reveals that all that come unto him must be born again, must be born again. Likely we know many of these verses well, but we often just stop at verse 16. It's probably the most recognized and most quoted verse in the entire Bible. John 3.16, almost everyone knows it. John 3.16 holds a great immeasurable truth, but there are other great truths that are associated with this wonderful verse. And we need to study those and comprehend those and understand them. And that's what I'm going to try and do this morning. 
This is arguably the greatest passage concerning salvation to be found in the Bible. I cannot emphasize the importance of this passage enough. It's so simple, so easy to understand, but so very important that we do understand it and believe it. There are a lot of decisions that, that we make in life, but one that's most important has to do with what are you going to do with Christ? What are you going to do with him? God sent him to die for the sins of the whole world, and he did. And if you'll trust him and come to him, all your sins will be gone. What a blessing. I want to carefully look at these verses and deal with the subject love, light, and loyalty. Let me begin with the promise in verse number 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Here's the promise. That whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. And that in the Greek text is will be having. You'll never lose it. You'll always have that everlasting life. As we go through life, we encounter many promises from many people. Some of the promises are kept, but most of them are broken when people make a promise to us. But the promises of God are absolutely certain and sure. If he makes a promise, you can count on it. It'll be fulfilled. If God said it, you can believe it. His word and his promises are like him. They are unchangeable. They'll never change. Unchangeable. He is an immutable God. He's the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow, and throughout all eternity. He'll never change. And his promises will never change either. There are a couple aspects about the promise that I want to point out today. First of all, it is universal. It is universal. That means everybody can become a child of God. There are some people that believe that only a selected few can become a child of God. No, that's not true at all. Many of the promises made in, in life only apply to certain people or specific circumstances. We've all seen the promises made on TV ads and uh, that say this, and then you find out they didn't have a little small print there, and it wasn't what they really had to say at all. The promise of God is not like that. The promise is offered to whosoever. Whosoever. It isn't dependent upon our works, our merit, or our worth. It doesn't make any difference who you are. It doesn't make any difference what color you are. Doesn't make any difference what land you live in. It applies to you. God promised that whoever believes can come unto him. Well, I'm glad that promise was for whosoever. Everybody can become a child of God and better become a child of God. The Bible says in Timothy, who will have all men to be saved and to come unto the knowledge of the truth. 
And then in Peter, the Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to usward, to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. God wants everybody to get saved. That's very important. The promise, it is universal. And second, it is eternal. It is eternal. People fight with that all the time. Am I going to lose my salvation? No, you're not going to lose it. That, that's a license to sin, some say. No, not at all. Your father will chastise you if you become a rebellious child, just like you would your own children. All who believe in Christ and come to him in salvation are promised everlasting life. This is a powerful phrase, everlasting, unending life. It, is literally, it literally means what it says, we shall never perish. Now, if you heard I died, don't you believe it? I just moved. I got out of this body of flesh and I was resurrected to go and be with my Lord. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Well, what a wonderful hope that is. Can you imagine people that don't have that hope? I worried about that a lot. When I was in Vietnam, people getting killed all around me, and I wondered, I wondered, am I going to die here? And I wasn't saved. But I was scared. Not about dying so much. I was scared of going to hell. And a week after I got home from war, I gave my heart and life to the Lord. And we've been serving him ever since. We shall never be put away or rejected by God. Never. We shall live forever in the presence of our blessed Lord and our Savior. I wrote the other day, my brother's birthday, uh, was on the 10th of this month. And uh, of course he died many years ago, command sergeant major in the army. And I wrote uh, on, on the letter that someday I'll be with both my brothers, my mom and dad. And what a joyous day that will be. And it will because I know where they are. We have a baby in heaven. And would that be a blessing for the first time to, uh, to see our baby. What a blessing that will be. I don't know of anyone else who can make promises like that and keep them. The redeemed are eternally secure in the Lord. We will never, never wake. Uh, we will never wake one day to find that God's word and his promises were not true. We'll always know they were. There's never been a saint of God who found God to be lacking in his promises. Never has been. When it comes time to make the crossing, to go to the other side, as some say, God's promises are eternal. So we see the promise. And then we see the proof. In verse 16, and Verse 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son 
That's the proof. God loved us. He proved his love for us by letting Christ die in our place. God loved us. Verse 17, For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. All of the sound good, all that sounds good, and for sure it does, but this is proof. It's more than just something that sounds good. It's proof that God loves the world. All of this sound, sounds so very nice, but the fact is, God is a proof. He raised him from the dead. Christ died, and after three days, he resurrected from the dead, our Lord Jesus. How can I be assured that God will keep his word? He forever settled the question long ago in the sacrifice of his only begotten son. God proved his love for all humanity as he sent his son to bear our sins and to take our place as he suffered the judgment of God for sin. The Bible says in the book of Romans, but God commendeth his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Then in 2 Corinthians, for he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. What a blessing. Clearly, God has proven his love for us in the gift of his son. Jesus proved his love for us in dying on the cross. His love and promises have been proven beyond any shadow of any doubt. He means what he says. It is up to us individually to embrace those promises and accept Christ as our Savior. So we see the promise. Then we see the proof. And third, we see the purpose. Why did all this happen? There was a purpose. As we ponder these verses, we might wonder why Christ came at all. Why did he condescend to the form of a, a human servant? Why did he lay aside the glory of heaven? Why, and take upon him the form of a man? Why did he die upon the cross? Why was all this necessary? Well, it says in verse number 17, For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. That's why. Christ came into the world that we might be saved. Because of sin, mankind was separated from God. You see, we're a trichotomy, a body, a soul, and a spirit. But we're spiritually dead because of sin. We can't communicate with God. We're spiritually dead. We need to be made alive, spiritually alive. We need to be born again. Worship is when the spirit of man meets with the spirit of God. And you can't worship God if you're dead in trespasses and in sins. You must be born again. You must be born again. 
Absolutely. We were all born into sin by uh, the righteous demands of the a holy God that we fell in Adam. And all since Adam have been lost without Christ. Thank the Lord Christ didn't come to condemn us. We were condemned already. But to save us from sin and to provide a means of salvation and give us an abundant life. Christ came as the only way of redemption and eternal life. There are not many ways to God. Well, many go different ways. Some go by Mo, uh, uh, the Muslim way and some the Buddhist way and some the Catholic way. And No, there's one way, not many ways. Jesus said, I am the way, the one and only way. And no man cometh unto the Father but by me. There are not many ways to God, only one through Christ. Before we leave this thought, uh, let me say that Christ did not die upon the cross needlessly. There was a purpose. This was not some terrible mistake. It was not a situation that, that went terribly wrong and simply got out of hand. Not at all. This was the plan and the will of God before the foundation of the world. The Bible says that he's the lamb that was slain before the foundation of the world. And that simply means before, before this world ever existed, before there ever was a sinner, God had already had a, a sheep to die for our sins the Lamb of God, the Lord Jesus Christ. Christ came to this earth for one purpose. One, to become the sacrifice for the sins of all humanity. That's why he came. I don't see how love can be shown or proven in any greater manner than that. Consider how sinful and wicked humanity is. I can't believe it. I saw a picture the other day, a Christian girl, and she was laying on her stomach and, and a Muslim come and chopped her head off, sawed it off. And we don't have any idea how cruel people are. We, most of us have never seen, never seen it. I was watching a true story this past week about a prisoner of war camp in uh, in the Philippines during the Second World War and how they butchered and starved and murdered our soldiers. So cruel. They built a little foxhole with wood in it and, and sent them in there. Then they threw gasoline in and set them all on fire. I thought how evil and wicked mankind is. And it seems they become more so all the time. Consider the lives that we lived before salvation. I was a mean old bird, tough as nails, and you had to be careful how you looked at me. I might hit you. But uh, I'm a sweet old fella now. <laughs> God changes us, and we become a new creation in Christ. Consider the many ways that we failed our Lord even after we got saved. Consider the millions who have rejected this great offer of salvation. 
Now consider that Christ knew all of that prior to Bethlehem and Calvary, and yet he came anyway. That was his purpose. It isn't so much a miracle that he came as a, as a humble babe. It is a miracle that he came at all. The promise, the proof, the purpose. And in verse number 18, the principle. It says, he that believeth on him is not condemned. Now listen, that word believe don't mean you historically believe. Oh, I believe the whole story of him being born. All, that's not what it means. The word believe means to trust in, rely on, and cling to. It's not just having something in your head. It's having somebody in your heart. That's the difference. He that believeth on him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is, is condemned already because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. Jesus reveals to Nicodemus the principles of salvation. These principles are absolute and will never change. These aspects must be understood and addressed in life, for the life to come will be too late if you don't consider Christ now. There'll never be another chance. Once you're dead, there'll never be another chance. Considering the principles of salvation, notice with me just a couple things. Now, I'm almost through, so hang in there. First, the saved. The saved. He came that he that believeth on him is not condemned. You've been saved from your sin. You've been saved from hell. You've been saved from yourself. You're not condemned. We have been cleansed in the blood of Christ and have been set free from, from the bondage of condemnation. There is liberty in the Lord. I'm free from the devil. The saved are no longer bound by the dread and fear of standing before God and giving account of our sins. We're set free from that fear. The Bible says in Romans, There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. Have you considered how it will be when we stand before the Lord at the judgment. Have you considered that? All who ever lived have an appointment with judgment. As the sinner stands before the Lord, it would be a terrible time. But we, as the saved, will stand before the judgment seat of Christ and give an account of how we've lived for the Lord. We'll stand before him, Mark paid in full. You know, we don't, we're not talking about whether or not we're going to heaven or hell. We're talking about what we did after we become children of God. We'll give an account of that at the judgment seat of Christ. There'll be no condemnation for our sins. There's none now. There won't be none at the judgment for the believer.
Not at all. They're all covered by the blood. Wow, the principle. The saved and the sinner. It says, but he that believeth not is condemned already. There's coming a day when sinners will stand before the great white throne judgment and will be carried out that judgment then they'll be cast into hell. Their destiny will be eternal separation for, from God and eternal torment in hell. I don't know a lot about hell but I know enough to know that I don't want to go there. Here Jesus reveals an alarming fact. The lost stand condemned already. Their unbelief and rejection of him is all that is necessary to stand accountable for your sins before you're cast in hell. Their unbelief and rejection of him. They live in a condemned state accountable to God let me give you something. What does that word mean? Condemned. What does it mean? The word condemned is a strong word with serious implications. It means separated, put asunder, to be judged according to one's deeds. Somebody asked me once, said, What's the worst part of hell? I said, I don't know everything about it, but I know what the worst part is. No hope. No hope. You are eternally separated from God. No hope. No, when we get sick, we feel so bad, but we know someday we're going to feel better. But it's not going to be that way in hell. It'll never get better. Never. I certainly wouldn't want to stand before the Lord in myself and have to give an account of my life. All oh, that's gone. Taken away by the blood of the Lamb of God. Man has no means of righteousness within himself. We can't do good and get to heaven. We can't. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. There's not a just man on the earth that doeth good and sinneth not. We need him. To stand before the Lord apart from Christ will result in eternal condemnation. It says in Matthew, Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name? And in thy name have cast out devils, and, and in thy name done many wonderful works. And then I will profess unto them, I never knew you. This is Jesus talking. I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. Just because you're trying to do something good, that don't make you a Christian. The principle, we see the saved, the sinner, and then we see the son. It says, he that believeth on him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already, because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. 
The key to salvation rests in the Son of God. He is the focal point of our redemption. Those who believe are set free and those who reject Christ are condemned. He is the one figure that all must choose or reject. I don't understand why people reject Christ. Because they don't want to hear it. They don't want to know it. They don't want him to mess up their life. And they don't know their life is already messed up. There's no middle ground in indecision. We are either saved in Christ or lost apart from Christ. Bible says in Acts, neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. Then in the book of Philippians, wherefore God also hath highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name, that at that name of Jesus every knee should bow of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. In John fourteen six, Jesus saith unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no man cometh unto me but by him. So we see the promise, and what a marvelous promise it is. Thank the Lord it applies to me. We see the proof. We see the purpose. We see the principle. Then we see the presentation. The presentation. Remain in verses 19 through 21. And this is the condemnation that light came into the world and men loved darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. For everyone that doeth evil hateth the light, neither cometh to the light lest his deeds should be revealed. But he that doeth truth cometh to the light that his deeds may be manifest, may may be made manifest that they are wrought of God. It's God the one that's got you working and doing and living right? I hope so. Let me give you three things. I'm through. First in verse 19, the, the light. And this is the condemnation that light came into the world and men loved darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. Jesus came as the light of the world. He came to reveal God and his truth. Jesus is the standard by which all men will be judged. He came to shine the light of the glorious gospel to the lost and dying in this world. I rejoice for the light and the fact that my eyes were open to it. Oh, Hank Williams, most of you probably don't know who Hank Williams is. 
He's no country singer. And he wrote the song, I Saw the Light. I Saw the Light. I'd sing it for you, but I, I don't have time. <clears throat> John 8, 12. Then spake Jesus again unto them, saying, I am the light of the world. He that followeth me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. In Corinthians, for God who com commanded the light to shine out of darkness hath shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. The light, the lust. The lust, John 8, 12. Then spake Jesus again unto them, saying, Boy, he had a lot to say. And verse, latter part of 19 and verse 20. And men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. For everyone that doeth evil hateth the light, neither cometh to the light, lest his deeds should be reproved. Here, Jesus reveals the lust and desires of men, women, boys, and girls. They love darkness rather than light. They refuse to come to the light because their desire to please their own selves is what they don't want to give up. Many today refuse the Lord because they enjoy their sinful lifestyle. Too much to give it up for salvation. Just keep in mind that this life is brief. I can't believe I'm as old as I am. I, I can't. I'm 75 years old. I don't feel like 75. You know, I, I, I don't act like I'm 75. Maybe I feel like it sometime. But in my own mind, I'm not. But I'm, I was thinking the other day, almost all my friends and family are dead. And soon my days are coming. What pleasure upon this life is worth going to hell for? None. The presentation, the light, the lust, and the leading. And I'm finished. Verse 21. But he that doeth truth cometh to the light, that his deeds may be manifest, that they are wrought in God. Here we find a key verse that is often overlooked in this passage. Jesus was talking to Nicodemus concerning salvation and reveals that there's an opportunity to come to the light of Jesus Christ. People are saved by the foolishness of preaching. Not foolish preaching. The foolishness of preaching. Most people think it's foolish. But God takes the word of God and pricks the heart of the sinner. And they see their need of a Savior. And they're drawn to that light. There's a lot of people know that and still have rejected it. How sad. A life that is so short. Our lives will no longer be lived as before when we become a Christian. People have asked me, how do you know if a child's got saved or not? 
I said, watch and see if they've changed. You see, God can't move in in our heart and life and we not be different. Impossible. We have a new desire within our hearts. We will no longer love the darkness of this world but crave the light of Christ. We want that light. As believers, we are obligated to let our light shine. That's him living in and through us. Bible says in Matthew 5, 16, let your light so shine before men that they might see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. Conclusion. That's the favorite word of most churchgoers. <laughs> Conclusion. <laughs> is it all well with you today? Is it all well? The Lord has promised eternal life to all who will come by faith to Him. He has proven His love for you at Calvary. Oh, what a terrible day that was when we see the torture and pain. But what a wonderful day it was when we found out He did that for me. If you've never accepted Christ as your own personal Savior, you stand condemned in your sin. You realize if you got out here and drove home and got in a car accident and died, you'd go to hell. My granddaughter got killed, wonderful Christian girl, young, life was going well for her. Everyone loved her. And she was driving to work one day and got in an accident and died instantly. She didn't plan on dying that day. She figured she had lived a long time and have little babies and grandchildren. But that wasn't the way it turned out. You could drop dead today. Where would you go? Where would you go? If you've never accepted Christ, why not? I urge you to come to the light and abandon the life of sin and darkness that you might live for him. Why not come and receive Christ now, today? Get it right. If you're here or if you're listening on the CD somewhere, you can bow your head right where you are and ask God to come into your heart, ask Christ to come into your heart and save your soul. And he'll do it. If you want him, he wants you more. And you can do it. You'll either confess him as Lord in salvation in this life or in separation in the life to come. You must decide. No one can do it for you. Let's pray. Brother David, leave it.